pain can become an attitude in and of itself. It becomes a way of being. So if you're accustomed to being in pain, there becomes this feeling of you can't do anything about it. It's almost like a learned helplessness. Being healthy is, is hard work. People will automatically assume that, okay, because I've got this, I cannot do this. Believe it or not, it shocked me when I heard this, he was taking 300 Percocet a month. Oftentimes what you'll see is you'll see a child running around playing, they fall down, scrape their knee, whatever, and there's a moment of silence, quietness. They're fine, but the parent rushes in and says, oh my God, are you okay, are you okay? And then the crying starts. Right, so you may have pain in an environment or a situation that I might not. Right, you know, How often like do you childbirth. Hear? Yeah, well, <laughs> I hope not. And she came to me with the hope that there was something I could do, that she could have a party on her 60th birthday and dance. Hi there, and welcome to the first of many podcasts. This is Michelle Gillis. I'm from MedFit Rehab, and I'm an exercise gerontologist, which means I look at people and how they exercise over the course of their life. And today, we're going to be talking about pain. And with me is Dr. Tony Van Hoof, who is a chiropractor. Welcome, Tony. How are you? I'm very well, Michelle. How are you today? Good. Thank you. I suppose the best way to start is to actually define what we're going to talk about. So perhaps we'll start with you and you can define pain and how it typically presents itself in your clients. Well, pain is a very difficult thing to assess and and, 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 and phrase or, or define. So many people look in different ways. There's medical ways of looking at it. There's psychological ways of looking at it. For most people, it's it's something that we feel is just, you know, not very nice. It's an unpleasant feeling that we have. It's affecting, you know, through our psychology. It might be a noxious stimulus where someone pokes us or burns us. Uh, the doctors themselves, they may define it as, you know, being caused by something. And, and when it comes to our conversation today, I think one of the things that we're looking at is uh, pain is defining something that is wrong with us, isn't itself the problem. So not just worry about getting rid of pain, but avoiding it in the first place. Right, right. Now, do you see a lot of people that are coming to you, is their pain, first of all, can they define or even let you know how it came about? Was it a result of an injury or is it has been something chronic that they've just sort of lived with for a number of years? Yeah, both. I mean, most people will only see anybody, whether it be a chiropractor or a physiotherapist or acupuncturist or medical doctor, if they have a pain. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So we'll go there and, and say, I've been suffering. It, it's due to an acute pain because they were in a car accident or they fell. Um, sadly, today, most people are, are suffering with something and it's been going on for days, weeks, months or years. And they can't even classify the, you know, the day or the event that may have caused it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things we try to do is identify whether or not there is a precipitating factor that's obvious. Mm -hmm. you know? Because when you can rule that out, then the challenge is trying to discuss with patients and people about you know, why they have pain, that it wasn't because they had a fall. If you fall and break your leg, it's obvious, right? You break your leg, it hurts, they, right. they deal with it. Whereas most people, when you ask them, hey, Michelle, how did you end up in pain? Like, how long have you had your back pain or neck pain or headaches or digestive issues? And they're like, well, it's been a couple months. I think maybe if, maybe even longer than that. They, they can't really even define the length of time that they've had it for. Right, so right. this determining if there is a, a, an obvious thing or not kind of starts the baseline. And then when it comes to us educating them, then the discussion can kind of change. Because as you know, you know, we start to look at, everybody thinks that they had, 
you know, the pain is the only problem in the moment. I got to deal with it today because I got to go to work tomorrow. I got to play my sports tomorrow. I don't want to miss anything. It's bad enough that I can't do that. Just get me to work, get me, you know, back on the court or whatever. And as long as I can deal with it and get by, then I'm going to be happy. So I want that today. I want it yesterday. Exactly. You know, what can you do to help me? Exactly. Now, do you have a lot of discussions or even uh, debates with clients about the use of medication and pain relief in terms of to what degree is that an appropriate, obviously an appropriate response, but then eventually you sort of have to wean yourself off of it, right? I've been in practice for 17 years, and when I started, I felt that everybody and everything I told them, they just listen to and do, mm. right? I was quite naive, right? So, and I quickly realized, which is a good thing, that as much as I can educate people, people have routines and patterns that aren't going to change. They may in the moment when they're in pain say, I'm going to exercise more, I'm going to eat healthier, I'm going to do that. But in the moment they're back to coping, they're okay. So now I've kind of lessened that kind of strict, you know, judgment, I'd say. So I understand in a crisis that someone may look for some help short term, whether it be a painkiller, an anti-inflammatory, including a going to a chiropractor, massage therapist or anything else. But I quickly try to, again, educate them that there is likely a reason why it came on and, and anything that you might get short-term benefits from mm-hmm. might not be the thing that stops it from not just coming back but getting worse. I have a patient um, that's with me right now, and it's a common thing. He's, he he's a, has a physical job. He's a, he works in landscaping. And it was normal for him to just pop his Robaxa sets, you know, all through the day, mm-hmm. anything he could. He never missed a day of work, but there wasn't a day where he wasn't taking two, three, four medications Mm. right up to another gentleman who's a big, strong guy. If you saw him, he's six foot four. He's a huge guy, really strong. And believe it or not, it shocked me when I heard this. He was taking 300 Percocet a month. Oh my gosh. I know. Isn't that crazy? That doesn't sound legal. Well, <laughs> yeah, that he could have the access to that much. So that was his coping mechanism. Yeah. Well, yeah. Whereas that, that's not always the case. Everyone's not always taking medications. Some people choose not to take medications. Right, right. right? They don't want to take the medications. I hear it all the time. I, you know, I don't believe in, in painkillers. That's right. I don't believe in a medication for my blood pressure, yet they'll never go see their doctor or look for the cause either. Right, right. So right. It's, it's, it's sad because a lot of people choose not to do it, and you can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I guess that part of it is the education too, because there's obviously a role in an acute situation. Pain has a role. I'm sorry, medication has a role to help with the pain. But when you talk about people that don't want to take medicine either, they're not doing themselves the benefit that they think they are. They think they're saving themselves from, you know, over medicating or whatnot. But in the meantime, they're creating their own vicious cycle of actually continuing the pain because once you stop moving because you're in pain and you don't take anything to get rid of the pain, you can no longer move, right? Mm. And and that, I think, would be a challenge to work with. I, I know that I see that sometimes with people in an exercise environment where they simply, they think they're doing a virtuous thing, really, uh, in terms of not taking the medicine. But the problem is, again, is that it still does not get to the root issue of why you have the pain, i.e. you sit too much, you don't have an active sitting posture, your fitness in many levels is a bit low, Uh, even your diet is contributing because you're not ingesting the right things to sort of stave off any inflammatory responses. So when you 
so there's another discussion to have with people. There's the people that want to take and insist they must take all the medication in order just to cope and survive, and then the other people at the other extreme who won't take anything. Mm. So how do you how do you deal with that? And we're also almost living like double lives too, double standards, because we talk about people, you know, I know lots of people that, you know, they want to be healthy, they want to live healthy, and they swear up and down that, you know, they're never going to take a pill, and they're never going to consume alcohol, and they're going to smoke, but yet they will turn around and do something like they'll sabotage themselves in some other way. Meaning, again, they, their approach is too rigid and too narrow. You can't say, I will never do this and I'll sometimes do this. It's got to be a little bit more balanced than that. Pain tolerance is a separate issue unto itself because I think some people, there is a a natural biological point where you're sort of set. You know, we talk about a set point in weight. Some people just are able to withstand pain a little bit more than others. But again, defining what kind of pain. And I think it helps. When we talk about chronic pain, what we see a lot I think you might have mentioned it earlier, is people can't pinpoint the cause. So if you can't pinpoint the cause of your pain, then you really don't know what's helping or hurting it, really. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And when you're not in pain, you have no way to measure that. So the question is then, A, can we change our pain tolerance and does it change over the lifespan? What I've noticed is I think we've all seen it before with kids. If you're a parent or you just see kids around, the first thing you see sometimes, or oftentimes, what you'll see is you'll see a child running around playing, they fall down, scrape their knee, whatever, and there's a moment of silence, quietness. They're fine, like they might have scraped their knee, but the parent rushes in and says, oh my God, are you okay, are you okay? And then the crying starts. Pain itself is is a series of neurological events, right? and mm -hmm. as a chiropractor, this kind of leads into chiropractic. When you get a, a stimulus on your skin by being poked, it travels, you know, from the nerve into your spinal cord up into your brain. Mm -hmm. It's not till it gets to a cortical level in your brain that it's actually perceived as pain. This is how medications often work. They'll right. block that message from getting up there so we don't feel it. So if there's other things that are distracting us, right, from that at the moment, we might not perceive that pain. So again, as an acute pain, you'll have people who have major traumatic injuries and you're looking at them and going, how are you not in pain? And they're, they're very calm and relaxed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Whereas other people who are in milder forms of pain, twos out of threes, as we know, their tolerance can grow only because they get used to something. You know, it's right. a minor thing. They think it'll be, you know, go away in a couple of days. And then three, four, five, six months later, they're still getting this pain that isn't a two out of three. It might not be a 10, it's a five. And their tolerances increase just because they have to keep coping. Exactly. And that's one of the things our um, physiotherapist was talking about too the other day where pain can become an attitude in and of itself. It becomes a way of being. So if you're accustomed to being in pain, there becomes this feeling of you can't do anything about it. There's this very, it's almost like a learned helplessness. You wake up, you don't look forward to the day. I see people all the time. Now, mind you, the people that come to me generally are still pretty mobile and they're there, but they still come with a certain degree of pain. It's to what degree you're willing to accept it and at what level too. I have a, a lady that I worked with this morning. She's got a very severe knee injury, and, or no, sorry, a knee pain. She's at the point right now where she's, surgery is probably imminent, but 
she's not quite there yet, and she'd like to sort of hold off on that. And her surgeon has, in fact, said hold off on that. In the meantime, the measures that she's taking are to keep as active as she can, to exercise. She's seeing a physiotherapist. She's getting different modalities done with her. With me, she's helping to strengthen the muscles and do some stretching and things like that. But by the same token, she's also using, you know, over-the-counter uh, pain relief minimally. They, she was prescribed some heavy duty stuff and she didn't like that. So there are so many people right now, I think that almost expect, and that's another topic we can get into. They expect as they age, things just to go wrong. Hmm. I'm getting older. So therefore I must be in pain. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Aging in and of itself, it does not equal pain. Hmm. What happens is over the years, we've designed activity and healthy life style habits pretty much out of our life. Once you hit a certain age and you don't have loving, caring parents to look after you, you don't take care of your sleep habits. You probably don't eat as well. You don't move. You don't take care or budget your time. You do all these fundamental things that could actually make our lives a lot simpler and a lot healthier. And we just complicate them. And then you add to that the stresses of being an adult and life and, and all that other stuff. So I think it's very interesting to have these discussions with people and to really kind of challenge them. Do you really think it's the number, your number that's causing your pain? Like you're, you're, you're biologically, chronologically 52. You think that's the reason you're having pain? Perhaps it's a lot of injuries that maybe you didn't take care of beforehand. And maybe it's because you sit all day, which is not your fault, but you have to do something to counteract that, right? Yeah, there's a lot of broken young people and a lot of healthy Oh, heavens, people. yes. I used to live in England, and I had a patient. She was 59 years old, and I my, my office was on the first floor. And so the door used to slam in the wind. So the door slammed. There was about 20 stairs, and we didn't see anybody for like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. oh. It was Jillian coming <laughs> yeah. up the stairs, right? So it took her <laughs> okay. that long. Oh, wow. And she was in so much pain. At the age of 59, she had been medically retired since 32 years old. She was a teacher. Oh, wow. And she came to me with the hope that there was something I could do, mm -hmm. that she could have a party on her 60th birthday and dance, right? Wow. How, how sad is that? that yeah. You know, yeah. that, again, we're just trying to get through the day, and she's missed all this life, that, you know, 30 years of her life she's missed. One of the, the saddest parts that is with her is mentally she was she was devastated. She was stuck in a hole or rut where she felt there was nothing that could be done. This was the last resort. And even trying to work with her initially, you could barely touch her. She would barely move. She could walk 10 steps and have to sit down and stop. As we worked with her, right from, you know, the physical part, getting her to move, getting her, you know, worked on her, and again, I'm no psychologist, but working with her, you know, on, on her mood and, mm -hmm. and all the things and, and just talking to her about what was going on. Not only did we get her dancing at her 60th birthday party, but I remember being at the supermarket and I, I caught this woman running down the, the, the laneway. Get out. The that island. was her? Yeah, with her cart, oh, right? So fantastic. Um, a year later, when I left England to come back to Canada, I was really worried about Jillian because... She had gone from 30 years of being medically retired in agony to getting her life back, but she also felt that it was me that was the one that did that for her. So when I left, I thought that emotional part that she would give up. And a year later, I came back to England. I went to visit the clinic. A, a, a friend of mine, three, two or three chiropractors had gone through that clinic, and one of my friends had ended up there. And I went to visit on lunch hour. Door hadn't been fixed, right? So <laughs> yeah. I'm there, and all of a sudden the door slams, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna leave, Mark. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't want to interrupt your your day. Mm -hmm. And who walks around the corner? 
It's Jillian, right? Running up the stairs, her life had been changed. It was amazing. So she had kept that up. Her lifestyle was completely different. How many people are missing not just days, weeks, months, because they've given up. The pain itself is just something that they think is going to limit them. They can't change. And they just haven't been given that hope, that advice, that that holistic approach that, you know, allows our body from birth. We're like, we're meant to be healthy. We're meant to move. We're meant to Mm -hmm. heal. And for some reason, we give up on our body's own ability to do that. Mm. Well, that's another thing I want to talk to us about. The thing where we can counter that sometimes, people will say, well, I've got this, so I can't do that. With medical exercise, with uh, our medical exercise specialists, they're very condition-specific protocols, meaning we have we have taken these um, methods and they've been scientifically validated as well. If you've got diabetes, fibromyalgia, cancer, osteoporosis, these are all serious medical conditions and very valid, obviously, and legitimate. People will automatically assume, not knowing any differently, that, okay, because I've got this, I cannot do this. What we work with is a nice sort of template for, yes, you can, based on what this condition is and what the typical symptoms and experiences are and the typical pathways and how that's going to work. Yes, you can exercise. And some people are thrilled to hear that. Other people, not so much because they were kind of hoping they didn't have to. But it gives some people some hope. When you get diagnosed with something serious, that is serious. But you also have to understand your options. And I don't feel that everyone always gets provided those options. And we as what we do in terms of exercise can help because people feel like it's like no one wants to take the experimental drug because you feel like you're a guinea pig. No one wants to be that. So if you have exercise and you have pain, it can be a very hard sell when your doctor's just told you, take it easy. And we're saying, uh, actually, no, you can do this, this, and this, and we'll walk you through it. And eventually we gain their trust, but it takes, it's a little bit of a, a climb to get to that point. But Once they do that, like you said, like we know, the body responds to that. That is our natural happy place. We like to move. And, you know, we move, you rest, you move, you rest, but eventually you find yourself in a good place. Well, one of the things I love about the collaborative effort as well is it's all based on the same principle. You know, so when you think about health, medicine is about diagnosis. When you have a diagnosis, you know, there is a certain path in which they follow medically, which again is called conventional. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as alternative therapists, which is weird because we're dealing with the body naturally, that is actually called alternative. When I think about a, a symptom or a condition, to me and to a group of, that works holistically, you're not looking at the symptom, but the cause and, and, and identifying that there's something missing here. And that's why it's with everybody, it's different. Mm-hmm. Even about people with cancer have chronic pain, these types of things. There might be something in there. There might be a nutritional factor. It might be a psychological factor. It might be a, uh, a physical factor. So when you combine everybody in their different specialties, looking at different things, you're going to get a, a more holistic viewpoint. The reality is, is anything that someone's missing, if they have it, the body will do what it needs to with that mm-hmm. and you will heal. Right. As a chiropractor, you know, there's not a, a person on the planet who doesn't understand that the brain controls things, right? So if the brain is sending signals to your heart and you stop that signal from getting there, your heart's not going to work very well. Mm-hmm. If you are trying to eat healthy, yet the, the nerves that go to your stomach are damaged, don't expect you to digest the food. No different than as an exercise specialist, you have someone who's paralyzed, you're not getting them to do, you know, exercise. They, that muscle will not work. Exactly. So with all the things we do with our spine, you know, uh, sit for too long, slip and fall, 
we damage the tissues that hold together ligaments, we get weak muscles. So if we can work on the alignment, protect the nervous system, build strength and stability through the exercise so that the, the nervous system is being protected, and then give the body everything else it needs nutritionally, mentally, and emotionally, how can someone not improve their health? Mm -hmm. The challenge is we wait until we're damaged, we're injured, it's bad enough, then we go to the doctor, we're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, why are we not teaching this to our kids? Oh, absolutely. Right? If our kids grew up in this model, mm -hmm. then we wouldn't be in the situation we are. As much as I think medicine is advanced, I think you can certainly claim that in a lot of the acute situations and the fact that they can give us a new hip and a new heart. Where is our health, like, is our health improved or, or is it worse? Do we have more cancer than we did before, more heart disease, more diabetes, or are kids healthier, sicker? Mm -hmm. We may live longer, but we're not living healthier. So the model just isn't working. We have to, we, it has to change. Absolutely. I, I love the quote, you know, that uh, North America is aging faster than nature intended. <laughs> because we are. We are a society where, like I've said before, we've designed activity and healthy lifestyle, healthy thinking right out of our lives. We think we've made things easier. We think we've made these leaps and bounds and technological advances and being able to do this or that, the other. And when you've got people that cannot walk up the stairs to their bedroom, or you've got people that can't, you know, assist themselves uh, in another bathtub, uh, the quality of life is so poor uh, you have to wonder what, what do you consider progress when you've got that happening. So in the end, I think it's important that we consider that pain itself is a neurological event. And, and the fact that we have it isn't the problem. We've got to figure out what the cause is. Mm -hmm. So until we figure out what's missing, we're never going to see a change. So we've got to get properly assessed, identify what the problem is, and don't be surprised if you start to improve your health, let your body do what it's designed to do, mm -hmm. that you're actually going to get better. Dr. Tony Van Hoof, thank you very much. I'm Michelle Gillis. Thank you for listening.